Chapter 4, Part 3, from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Ansi Post. Have you ever had someone that you loved that was sick and not well? Someone you loved so much that you prayed for their healing. You even asked other people to pray for their healing. Honestly, it's been a tough season for my husband and I. My mother-in-law has been sick and in and out of the hospital for the past five months. It has been a lot for our whole family to take in, but especially for my husband as her only child. When someone we love is sick, our lives are filled with so much stress and worry. And sometimes it's really hard to have faith in God when you see someone you love being sick and not well. Have you ever experienced something like that? Today, as we continue our sermon series on the Gospel of John, we are going to look at the story of a man who was desperately seeking help for his sick son. We're going to learn some important lessons on faith from this story, especially when your faith is being tested through a crisis. So if you have your Bibles with me, please turn with me to John chapter 4, 43 to 54. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, so they, they also had, as, as they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at, at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus said to him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at, when, at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you that you are a God who loves us, a God who sees us when we are sick, when we are worried, when we are not well, when we are stressed, Lord. We are so glad that you are a God who loves and has compassion on our worries. Lord, I place today's service into your hands, Lord, and as we speak on faith, Lord, may I just be a vessel for you. May your Holy Spirit speak through me. May the hearts and minds of the people that are here in person and watching online be prepared to receive your word. And may your word take root, and may transformation happen, because your word will be spread throughout the world. Praise on your precious name. Amen. So I want to put this text into context. So Jesus had just spent two days in Samaria where he met that woman at the well, and then he had spent time with her people there. Now he is leaving for Galilee after a wonderfully successful time in Samaria. 
One of the interesting things about his time in Samaria is that the whole town of Sychar had come out to see Jesus, and many had believed in him, even though he performed no miracles while he was there. The Samaritans, uh, the Samaritans believed completely based on his preaching and his teaching. The focus in Samaria is not on his miracle-working power, but on his word. John chapter 4, 42 says, We have heard him for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This response from the Samaritans is a better response than anything Jesus had received from among his own Jewish people. In today's story, Jesus leaves Samaria and continues his journey back to his home country of Galilee. In Galilee, the people receive him because of the miracles he performed in, Jer in Jerusalem during the Passover festival. The Galileans, unlike the Samaritans, expect a show of miracles and wonders. They're not as interested in Jesus' message as they are in his miracles. They are, um, in this text, we also meet a royal official with a, a son that is dying, who he had come from Capernaum to persuade Jesus to heal his son. Jesus does heal his son. The story of this healing is actually relatively short, but it contains some very important lessons on faith. Faith is defined as the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. If you've been doing the New Testament Bible reading with us, we saw in last week's reading that in Hebrews that it says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. No matter where you are in your faith journey today, we can all grow in our faith. So what does the healing of the royal official's son teach us about growing in our faith? The first thing we learn from this story is that faith starts with coming to Jesus. Sometimes the thing that brings us to Jesus is desperation or a crisis that we just can't handle alone. We are so desperate that we are willing to try anything, so in desperation we come, even though we may not fully believe. Sometimes we come to Jesus because we've heard the stories from our friends or family about what God has done in their lives. The signs and wonders that Jesus has done in their life leads us to come to Jesus. There is always something that starts our journey of faith. How did you first come to Jesus? What was that catalyst that caused you to seek Jesus? Did you come to Jesus out of desperation? No matter how it started, your faith journey, our faith journey, starts with us coming to Jesus. Jesus has always been there waiting for us with open arms, but we must choose to come to him. It seems in the story that Jesus had been in Cana for several days, at least long enough for word to have reached Capernaum that Jesus was back in Galilee. Immediately upon hearing that Jesus was in Cana, this royal official with a dying son rushes up the road from Capernaum to Cana. That's a distance of about 20 miles, a good two days journey on foot, probably a little less on horseback since this man was a wealthy official. He probably never would have gone to Jesus if it had not been for this personal crisis. His son was sick, literally to the point of death. 
He probably had sought all the physicians and in Capernaum and the surrounding areas, but they had not been able to help. He possibly had even tried all sorts of alternative treatments, but nothing had worked. So in desperation, the man makes the 20-mile walk or ride from the north shore of the Sea of Galilee to Cana to find Jesus. He asked Jesus to come and heal his son. The verb tense that John uses in verse 47 indicates that this royal official was repeatedly imploring Jesus to come down and heal his son. He didn't just find Jesus and ask him once. He was begging him in the streets to come and heal his son. This is not normal behavior for a royal official, to be begging anyone, but especially not begging someone in the streets publicly for all to see. Every parent who's ever had a very sick child or anyone who's had a loved one that was really sick can understand the desperation and anxiety that this father was feeling. We don't know much about this man. We don't know whether he was a Jew or a Gentile, only that he had some sort of position in Herod's court. He was probably fairly well off, but his money and position couldn't save his son. This story shows our need for Jesus and our helplessness without him. Wealth, position, youth, none of it guarantees health, happiness, or safety. We all need Jesus. At first glance, Jesus' response to this man seems kind of harsh, right? Here is a man begging Jesus to, to heal his dying son, and Jesus' response is, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never leave. Apparently, that's my Jesus voice. Um, it can seem like Jesus is taking this man's pain serious, isn't taking his man's pain seriously, right? Or having compassion. That he decides to chastise him and the crowd for their desire to see signs and wonders instead of helping him and showing compassion. But you see... Jesus knew that neither this man nor the Galilean people were seeking him because they really wanted to worship him and follow him for who he is. The man wasn't coming as a sinner seeking forgiveness and and eternal life. Rather, he was only there because he was experiencing a personal crisis and he desperately needed immediate help. And so Jesus' rebuke directed both at this man and the Galileans was actually a gracious rebuke intended to help this man to see his greater need. Jesus wanted him to move from his need-based superficial faith to genuine saving faith. Often we are just like this royal official. We don't pray unless we're in a crisis. We keep Jesus on a shelf like Aladdin's lamp. And when we need him, we take him down, we dust him off, we rub him the right way, and we ask for his help. But when the difficulty passes, we put him back on the shelf and get on with our lives, virtually without him. But Christ wants to be worshipped as our Lord, not used as a magic genie. He wants us to believe in him for who he is and to fellowship with him at all times. He doesn't just want us to seek him when we need something or when we're in a tough situation. He wants our our trust and love at all times. 
You see, we must choose to go to Jesus, not when we're in a crisis, but we must choose to go to him every day, especially when we're not in a crisis. This demonstrates that our faith is vibrant and authentic because we're choosing to go to him. We choose Jesus because we're so captivated by him for who he is, not because we need him to do something for us. Our faith in Jesus Christ was always meant to help us to nurture a deep relationship with him. Our spiritual journey is about relationship, not just belief. We may start our faith journey out of desperation or wanting to see the signs and wonders of God. The first step always starts with a decision to come to Jesus, to move towards him. But we need to remember that this is just the beginning of the journey, not the end. Come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus can be the start of a whole new life for us. Desperate faith is only desperate when the circumstance calls for desperation. So how do we move from this need-based faith to true, deep, authentic faith? This royal official comes to Jesus with Galilean faith, looking for a miraculous sign, but ends up going deeper in faith to believing in Jesus Christ as his Christ, as his Savior. The second thing we see from this story is that faith grows with believing, not seeing. See, the world tells us that seeing is believing. But Jesus wants us to believe without seeing or know that seeing, that believing is just as good as seeing. The world tells us that if we see, that then we will believe. And because we saw this sign or this miracle, that our faith will be stronger and more real. But you see, that is not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus said in John 20, 29, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, seeing is not believing. If you need to see before you believe, then that is not faith. Hebrews 11:1 1 tells us that faith is about believing in something that has not been seen yet. We also see that this concept of seeing as believing is not really true from the story of the Samaritans, right? And how they believe based on Jesus' word rather than any signs and wonders. We may read these stories about the Samaritan woman and the, the Samaritan people's believing and the healing of the, 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 uh, the official son separately in our English Bible. We may even preach about them separately, but... We need to remember that when John wrote this, there was no section separations. We are meant to read these stories together, and they together help us to understand more about our faith. When we read today's scripture, it kind of starts off a little strange, right? Verse 44 tells us that Jesus says that, there, that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Jesus is from Galilee. So what you would expect in the next verse is that the Galileans did not welcome him. But, in, it, but instead it says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. This is unexpected and kind of makes you wonder, why did John include that part about what Jesus said in this story? However, John does go on to say that they welcomed him 
because they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. We see that, Je- that the welcome that Jesus received was not what it looked like on the outside. It was a kind of welcome that receives Jesus but has no true honor for his person in it. It was a kind of interest in the signs and miracles and wonders that he did. They believed, John said, but this was not the kind of faith that Jesus accepted or wanted. It was simply an excitement about his miracles, not what those miracles pointed to, to Jesus' glory as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Those things that the Samaritans saw, even though they had not witnessed any miracles, but had only heard and believed him based on his word. Now, I want to be clear. This royal official does start with some amount of faith. He had either heard of or seen the miracles that Jesus had done previously. He is desperate. He knows that Jesus can heal his son. So he comes to find the master. His faith is based on the miracles he had seen or heard of. We can see that however much faith that this man had, it was strong enough to sustain him on a two-day mountainous journey. And even when Jesus rebukes him, he refuses to give up and is persistent. He came for a miracle, but Jesus wanted him to believe and trust his word without seeing that miracle first. This is not the first time that we see Jesus wanting people to go deeper in their faith than just believing because of signs and wonders. Remember in John chapter 2, 23 to 25, Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. These people believed in Jesus after they saw the signs he did in Jerusalem. But Jesus knew what was really in their heart, that their belief was not truly in him. They didn't see him as the son of God and the savior of the world. They were excited by the miracles and how it could benefit them. That is not true faith. There was no true faith in the person of Jesus. The Galileans may think that they're welcoming Jesus, but they don't understand who he is. They're only seeing the surface. The miracles but they are, are not willing to go deeper into truly believing in him. So they don't honor him, even though they celebrate him as a miracle worker. Do we honor Jesus for who he is? Do we celebrate him as a savior of the world? Or do we just welcome him as someone who can meet our desires and our wants? Are you here today to honor Jesus as your Lord and savior? Or because this is what we do on a Sunday. Or because you need him to answer some prayers. Or because of some signs and wonders you've heard or seen. Why are you here today? Do you trust Jesus in both the good and difficult times? Is there honor in your faith? When we don't truly believe, it is hard to sustain our faith when hardships come our way. This is why the crowds could yell Hosanna and welcome Jesus on Sunday and then yell crucify him on Friday. 
Faith and excitement in miracles and in just what we can see is not sustainable. It will not offer us the endurance needed for the faith journey we are called to. Our spiritual journey is not a sprint, it's a marathon. So it's important to have true, deep faith rather than shallow faith based on what we can see or feel. True faith requires action. It requires us to go. This royal official wanted Jesus to come and heal his son, but Jesus says, go. Faith is experienced in the going. Now this royal official had asked Jesus to come and heal his son, and Jesus rebukes him and the crowd as sign seekers and instead of believers. So what does this man do? He continues to beg Jesus to come and heal his son. He is so desperate that he no longer has pride and continues to beg. Let's look at verse 49. The royal official says, Sir, come down before my child dies. We then get to see the love and compassion of Jesus when he says, Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. John then continues in verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. What is incredible here is that this man had asked Jesus to come with him. But Jesus simply spoke and said, go, your son will live. And this man obeys without a question. He believed and went. He did not insist on seeing the miracle first. He did not complain that Jesus didn't uh, go with him and wouldn't come with him the way he wanted. And amazingly, he simply left. John says, believing. The man's response shows his faith. Instead of pestering Jesus to come with him, he believes that Jesus has already healed his son or will heal his son. Something had happened as this man encountered Jesus. That in that moment of seeing Jesus speak so sovereignly and with such authority, that something had awakened in this man. He saw something more than a miracle worker in Jesus. We start our faith by coming to Jesus. It's a choice. And when we encounter Jesus, something amazing happens. We are transformed. We are able to have deeper faith and to step out in trust. This is also a choice, to trust in God's word even before we see it fulfilled. We must operate in faith. Even before we get the answers, we can choose to move in faith. For me... Going to seminary was an act of faith. It was an going with no idea of the end results and with no proof that it was leading to anything. I had just separated from my husband who was emotionally and physically abusive. I had just been in a car accident in the same week in which the car flipped twice and landed on the roof. And I had multiple injuries including a neck injury, concussion, and a mild traumatic brain injury. My church, which I had thought of as family, had basically kicked me out of their church for leaving my abusive husband. Of all the things that happened to me during this time, this betrayal by my church was the most painful. This was the church that I was committed, so committed to that I 
paid for everything for their children's ministry, all supplies, curriculum, everything. I would take vacation and go all the way to Queens to plan and run their VBS. And suddenly, I was getting letters in the mail that I was not in their membership anymore because my husband did not attend. Even though I had been a member since the church's inception and before my ex-husband came to this country. I even got a letter in the mail telling me that they no longer want me to run their children's program and they didn't want me to teach their children anymore. I cannot describe to you the pain that I felt going to church and sitting through service in the midst of this. I had so many people in my church community and family treat me like a leper because I got out of an abusive situation. And in the midst of this, God tells me to go to seminary? Don't get me wrong. God had put this desire in me earlier, but it was never clearer or nor God's urgings louder than at this time in my life. This was such a painful and traumatic time in my life. I could not understand how God could allow this to happen to me when I had done my best to serve him. I desperately wanted to hide from the, church, the world, and I definitely didn't want to go to church. Uh, see, I grew up being taught that divorce was unforgivable to God, and that no matter what, that you had to make your marriage work. The shame of failing at my, to make my marriage work, the shame of having to call the police to help me when my husband was abusive, the shame of being told that I was the thing that the people in the church needed to protect their children from, because I was in this abusive situation and I got decided to get out, did not put me in the mindset to choose to obey God's urging to go to seminary wholeheartedly. It was not an easy decision. I was successful in my career as a physical therapist and it would have been much easier, safer, and made much more sense for me to pursue my doctorate in physical therapy rather than a theology degree. I wrestled with this decision. I even filled out an application for PT doctorate program and seminary application at the same time, you know, just in case God changed his mind. <laughs> but God was urging me to go, and so I went. I went in fear that the seminary would reject me as my, my church had. I went with no purpose or goal as to why I was going. I had to trust God. I had to trust that God had a purpose and a reason for putting this desire to go to seminary in my heart. I didn't know what the result would be. I never in my wildest dreams thought it would be to be a pastor. But here I am, an accidental pastor in my mind. But in God's mind, what he had planned for me all along. I know that the life I live today is because I chose to obey and trust God when he told me to go, even though I could not see where he was leading. The third thing we learn from this story is that true faith requires us to acknowledge what God has done. So in this story, the royal official heads home after Jesus told him to go, and he heads home to Capernaum. And while he's on his way, he meets some servants who bring a joyful news. Let's look at John chapter 4, 51 to 53. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his, uh, when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. 
Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. See, when this father gets over his initial shock that his son is healed, he asks about the time that his son is healed. He finds out that it's about 1 p.m., which is the exact time that Jesus had spoken those words of healing. As a result, this man and his extended household, most likely his immediate family, extended family, and servants, become believers. His faith had begun with seeking miracles, but it had gone deeper. He believes Jesus' words and chooses to trust him and go, and now he sees the results. It's not that seeing the results, uh, it's not that seeing the miracles establishes his faith, but rather that it verifies his faith. Because he trusts Jesus, he is able to celebrate and acknowledge what Jesus has done for him. Faith is not dependent on circumstances. Faith trusts in the good and bad times. When there are miracles we hope for and when there aren't. If this man didn't have faith, he would not have thought to verify his faith by checking the time of his son's healing. It is only because he chose to connect Jesus' words with what happened to his son that he could praise Jesus for the healing. He could have chosen to discount it as a coincidence or that some other treatment worked, but his trust and faith is revealed in his acknowledgement of Jesus healing his son. Look at how this passage ends. Not with, rejoice, not with rejoicing at the healing, which of course needs to be celebrated. The healing seems to be incidental. The passage ends with the phrase, and he himself believed and his whole household. The movement is from grasping at straws for a miracle to confidence in Christ's authority to the man and his household believing. It is seen in how he shared his story of his encounter with Jesus, with his family, and with others in his household, and they were then able to believe. Just like Katri shared last week, it is important to share your story. Your story brings others to Jesus. This man's story leads the people in his household to take the first step to believe and come to Jesus. They have now begun their faith journey. We can't just experience God's blessings for ourselves. We must learn to recognize and acknowledge them. Many times we pray, but we don't recognize and acknowledge when God answers those prayers. Not only do we not acknowledge them, what God has done for us, but we credit other things. We credit medicine. We credit our talents. We credit our intelligence. We even credit luck rather than God. I want to encourage you that if you don't currently do it, to keep a prayer journal. Some people like to write out their entire prayers. Some just list it. I want to encourage you to list it. List, and if you don't have a journal, do it on your phone notes. I think if we list out our prayers and what we're praying for, when we look back on them, we're going to see that we're missing out on miracles every day. If we look back on our prayers, we're going to see that so many of our prayers have already been answered. And because we don't take the time to verify the blessings we receive as answered prayer, we miss it. 
we miss the miracles. We miss the hand of God in our lives. And when we don't recognize a miracle and what God has done for us, then we cannot acknowledge it before the world. True, authentic faith recognizes God's hand in our lives and acknowledges it. I live a life of miracles. I have a wonderful husband and two beautiful and strong daughters. I don't have much residual disabilities from a car accident in which I could have died. I get to live into my calling from God on my life to be a pastor. My choice to trust and obey when it didn't make sense is helping me to live into this amazing life and ministry that I have today. I can't believe that God called me to serve in a church after the trauma I went through from my previous church, but I'm so glad I listened. I get to witness amazing spiritual journeys. I get to witness kids in our church grow deeper in, our, in their faith. You know, just last year, I had the pleasure of teaching a baptism class to our, our elementary school students and hear them profess their faith publicly. Doesn't get better than that. I get to walk with so many people through these spiritual milestones. For our denomination, I am vice president of our Covenant Asian Pastors Association. I also lead a cohort of Asian clergy women in our East Coast Conference. I even coach and mentor leaders in our denomination from all over the country. In fact, one of the women that I met and coached last year, when she changed jobs, she requested as part of her employment that they budget for her to continue to get coaching. It's crazy, right? When God told me to go to seminary with no goal in sight, I am so glad I obeyed. I know that the blessings that I reap today are from the Lord and not from any inherent ability that I have. I will continue to trust and have faith in God for anything he calls me to in the future, I hope. I can't believe that I would have missed out on all of this if I had listened to my doubts and to the abuse I had sustained from my church and my previous marriage instead of God. God saw something in me even before I could see it. You can trust God. Choose Jesus. Faith is all about choices. Make the choice to come to Jesus. Make the choice to trust and obey when we can't see where it's going and where God is leading us. Make the choice to acknowledge what God has done in your life and share that with others. And as we do this, we will continually grow deeper and stronger in our faith journey. It is not a one-time thing, but a continuous journey. Choose Jesus. Start believing even before you can see it and acknowledge what Jesus has done for you. And maybe today we can just have a little bit of faith like a mustard seed that can move a mountain. Let's pray. Father Lord, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us. One who honors even a little bit of faith. Help us to love you more and more each day, to trust you more and more each day, to believe in you more and more each day. Help us to learn to take you at your word and to move in faith, 
even when we don't see immediate results. Help us to always acknowledge you for what you do for us daily. And as we do, may we remember who we are. We are your children. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen.